I'm Donna. And I'm Carrie. And we are Paranormal Chicks. Episode 283. Well, I went to see a movie this weekend. <laughs> okay. <laughs> well, you saw 18 million last time. <laughs> God, going back, it was like, and this one, and this one, and this one. Oh, yeah, and this one. I don't know the names, but they were good. <laughs> okay, well, what'd you see? The Last Voyage of the Demeter. Dem- Demeter, I think. Okay, who's apparently really stuck with you. Well, I don't know that fucking name. I always wanted to say the Dementor because of Harry Potter. And I only know that from Sinister Sightings. But it's about Dracula. And it's like the captain's journal from Bram Stoker's Dracula. This is what that's made out of, like the log. It was really good. But let me tell you, I'm old as fuck because I needed earplugs in there. It was so loud. And like, I would jump just at a loud noise. It wasn't even scary. It was just, oh my God, like I was on edge. It was so loud. When'd y'all go? You and Tiffany? Yeah. It just... You were doing something. I know. You had family. Well, was it good? It was. Well, I was telling Tiffany, I was like, damn, we normally go to the casino on my mom's birthday, but we were both broke. And so we were like, can't go. And she had a gift card for the theater. And she was like, well, let's go see a scary movie then. And I was like, okay. Okay, y'all. So I've never really had my own sinister sighting, right? But my aunt, my dad's sister, she passed. We were close, but not like super duper close. Not like she was with my two sisters. But I had went to bed and you know when you are, you have the best laid plans. And so you cover your bed with your clothes and you're like, I'm going to hang everything up and I'm going to do all the things. That was me. And then future Donna didn't want to do it all. And so I slept on the couch because I was like, I'll do it the next day. But I'm asleep on the couch and the TV's off and I wake up because, you know, when you're like waking yourself up because you have to pee. I never have to pee, but I had taken my Lasix. It's a fluid pill. So that day I had to pee a lot. So anyway, I'm waking myself up because it's like, I need to go to the bathroom. I know in my dream, I need to go to the bathroom. And then when I'm coming to, I hear like a whistling, you know, like when someone has a whistler. Like in your nose. Uh Uh-huh. And out loud, I said, but like my eyes still closed. Why didn't you tell me I had a whistler? And then when I opened my eyes, someone was sitting beside me on the couch and it looked just like my aunt. And she had like her hair back when my mom used to cut it. It was a little longer, but like still like a old lady haircut, you know, she had a shirt on that I know, like I know she has. She was sitting just like she always does with her hands like clasped together in her lap And it scared the shit out of me because I thought someone was there. Like, holy shit. But when I went to turn on the TV, she was gone. Well, and then in her place, Marley was there, but she wasn't sitting up. Because if Marley was sitting up, I would have been like, oh, that was her. Because my aunt had gray hair. And so Marley's like poofy white hair could have been that. But no, Marley was passed out laying down where that person was sitting. So... That was weird. But then my sister, I was telling her and she started tearing up and she was like, her last moment, she was asking for my dad, like our dad, and who's her brother. And uh, she had to find out that he had passed because they hadn't told her since she wasn't capable of traveling anymore and all of that. So she wouldn't really have known that my dad had passed. And... Because we know your dad was not talking on the phone to her. No, they never communicated other than when they would see each other in person. So we were like, oh, my God, it really is like she was double checking to make sure, like, is he really dead or did she just tell me that so I could pass? Right. Was she lying? Well, so then so that happened and it was like weird. Never had that before. And like, I mean, I know what I saw and I know I wasn't asleep. However, on my mom's birthday, I was going to get a donut. Have I told you this? I don't think so. Okay. So I was going to get a donut and I was going to get a donut anyway. But then I was like, I'm going to get a donut for my mama. And I was like, but she likes apple fritters and I don't. And I 
I'm cheap. And so I was like, I can't just buy a donut that I'm not going to eat, you know? And I was like, well, she likes cinnamon twists and cinnamon buns and stuff like that. So I'll get a cinnamon bun. Last one, saw a dragonfly at that same time that I ordered. So I was like, cool, mama, like you approve. Awesome. Well, then my brother had brought over some promotional stuff for the podcast festival. And we were talking and I was like, I'm so sentimental today for mama's birthday. And normally I'm not so affected like this. And he was like, oh my God, me too. And I was like, I even got a donut in her honor. And I was like, but I didn't get an apple fritter. And he got chills on his arm and he was like, holy shit. I was in the grocery store today walking by and I was like, I'm going to get an apple fritter for mama. He got a pack and was like, happy birthday, Patty Joe." Oh, my God. And like, he's he is not that type. Right. And so it was just so weird and not like, ooh, but it's just like, why am I in this middle of this stuff? I am never like this. So that's my week. But also, I'm really glad that she got her apple fritter. Right. She was like, what do y'all get me a damn fritter? Uh-huh. <laughs> it really was like your aunt was like, um, did Steve really die? Because I got to know for sure. Uh-huh. Because like, why did you wait till my deathbed to tell me? Did he really go? Or were you just trying to let me go on my way? Right. Maybe she was trying to warn you about your damn whistler. And probably <laughs> said, get a CPAP. <laughs> well, and they had said that she was like breathing, like gasping for breath and stuff. And I was like, God, what if it was her that I heard it? I'm like, no, it was definitely you if you were sleeping. <laughs> But yeah, that was the most bizarre feeling and just like, what the hell did I just see? Well, uh, I started therapy, and which y'all know, because I've been talking about it a little bit. And man, it's been helping. Like, what have I been waiting for all these years? <laughs> it was really scary to start. Like, I'm not going to lie, but I'm so glad I did because I freaking love my therapist. She gets me. I get her sessions like fly by because we get each other, you know. And it's just been so helpful. So if you're thinking about it and you're like, should I, shouldn't I? You should. Sometimes she asks me things like, well, why do you think da 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 da? And I'm like, she's fucking right. (laughs) Oh, she's right again. (laughs) Normally you like people to go deeper, but not her. Yeah. Like, oh, I signed up for this. So I guess we got to go deeper. Well, you know who signed up for something else? We like it deep, but we definitely don't go deep. But Patreoners, so thank you so much, Melissa T. from Ohio. And Cecily from no address, but we think in Norway somewhere. So we need your address so we can send you a thank you letter and some stickers. Thank y'all so much for joining Patreon. And if you want an episode shout out just like these two fabuloso peeps over here, you got to go to www.patreon.com slash the APC podcast. That was weird. I never say www at the beginning. Y'all should see Donna's face. She was looking at me like, that's how I say it, but you don't. Yeah. And then I was like, God, this website's taking forever to say. <laughs> Again, the World Wide Web. Again, you like a mouthful, but not with words. Well, let's just be honest. You don't. No. You know what? I was watching. I caught up on. Okay. I finally caught up on the new episode or the new season of and just like that of like Sex in the City. And I think it, I think it was on that where they said, if it's got the word job in it, I don't want to do it. Because <laughs> they're like, oh, yeah. Was it on that? They're like, hand jobs are back. And. Oh, shit, I don't know. But they were like, hand jobs are back. And they were like, I don't want to do anything with our job in it. Yeah, um, I do. I'm looking to be employed. <laughs> All right, let's jump on into my story. Okay, we're going to talk about a lady named Celeste. So Celeste had been married quite a few times throughout her lifespan. And the first few marriages were really rocky. They all ended up in divorce, but she did have two girls who were twins, Christina and Jennifer. In the early 90s, Celeste had been married at this point three times. They had all ended in divorce. They were toxic. She was strapped for cash. She didn't really, I don't think she had custody of her daughters at this point because she was strapped for cash. And so she decided that she was going to take a job at a country club in Austin, Texas, you know, because we're going to be there. We're going to be coming home when this episode comes out. So for the finally got that right. 
So anyway, she was working at this country club as a server, and that's when she meets a man by the name of Stephen Beard. So Stephen Beard, when he met Celeste, was about 68 years old. And just recently, Stephen had lost his wife. They've been married for like, well, one thing I saw said 42 years. One thing I saw said 50 years, but they had been married a long time. I'm thinking 50 because one thing said they got married when he was 18 and this was around 68 years old. But unfortunately, his wife died of a brain tumor. So when Celeste started working as the server at the country club, this was all around the time that Stephen had just lost his wife. She's looking for somebody. She's like 32, though. So she's but she's significantly younger than him. But the two really hit it off. So they end up getting married. Now, Stephen's daughter was not super for this because Stephen had a shit ton of money, like multimillionaire, like $10 million shit ton of money. He had started and sold a TV station. Oh, shit. So like money. Right. So his daughter was like, he's 68. She's like 32. She's got these kids. She was working as the server. Like she just, the daughter feels like Celeste is in in it for the money. So she's like not really feeling this marriage at all. But Stephen's going to Stephen and he married Celeste. So not long after they got married, Celeste's twin daughters came to live with them. While they were married and they were married for a while, the twins their biological father actually passed away so when the girls were 17 Stephen Beard officially adopted them and I think they were about 13 when they got together so they had been living with him it wasn't like oh their dad passed away and he was like I'll adopt you You know like this was like years in the working yeah now in 1999 I've, I've seen a couple of different reasons for this but Celeste actually went into a psychiatric hospital now I've seen reasons that um, she was going for depression I saw that she, it was like alcoholism um, another thing that I saw though was that she was actually having some suicidal ideations because Stephen had caught her stealing jewels out of their safe deposit box. And because of that, he threatened to divorce her. So then she started having some suicidal ideations. And so she went into a psychiatric hospital. Why still? I don't know. Because, you know, it was a, it was like well known that she spent a lot of money. Like um, people talked about how she had so many clothes and that she would buy cars like we would buy groceries you know like she just spent and spent and spent and spent and so i don't know why she would steal from him when he gave her everything and then i was listening to this other podcast so remind me to tell you all the name of the podcast because i don't want to give anything away but i was listening to this podcast and they were recapping an episode of a show that this was on and it said that the the relationship was kind of weird like there were sexual expectations in the relationship in order for her to get the money to spend yeah so i don't know how true that is but like you know she had to have sex with him every so often and then basically he would give her like an allowance to spend i mean that makes sense it's a sugar baby relationship right and i mean given their age difference and all of that i mean it's i mean who knows yeah and if that's an adult agreement that they both come to Okay. You Hell know. yeah. I'm also looking for that too. So, you know, for a job or a sugar baby. I mean, what else? While Celeste was in the psychiatric facility, she met a lady by the name of Tracy Tarleton. What's her last name? Tarleton with a T. Okay. Their relationship is a point of contention for this case because some stuff says they were just friends, but they were lovers. There is ample evidence that they were having a relationship. But Celeste says they weren't, and Tracy says they were. But people caught them, like, kissing and all of that. So they definitely had a, not only physical, but an emotional relationship, too. Yeah. Now, was Celeste probably just manipulating her the whole time? Probably. Uh-huh. But did Tracy think it was a full-on relationship? Absolutely. And 
there was a physical and emotional component to it, even if it was all fake on Celeste's side. Yeah, now I see where this is going. So on October 2nd of 1999, someone came into Stephen Beard's bedroom and shot him with a shotgun in the abdomen. Oh, shit. He actually woke up and was like, what the fuck? And was able to call for help himself and like told them like, hey, my like my guts are coming out. Like that's what he told 911. So they get there and at first they were like, wait, what's happening? Because he was literally like holding his guts but it was like i I don't know it's like it took him a minute to figure out okay he had been shot like they thought i don't know maybe it had like an incision or something that broke up but like i don't know why they weren't like oh this man's been shot i don't yeah it was weird to me but inside the bedroom they found a shell casing so steven was in the hospital for a long time and while he's in the hospital the police basically figure out very, very quickly that the gun actually belonged to Tracy. Mm-hmm. Because even Celeste's kids were like, did you talk to Tracy? Damn. Like, the kids threw Tracy under the bus really quickly because Tracy was at the house a lot. Like, they basically were pretending like they didn't have a relationship, but they had a relationship. So, you know, it was like, oh, her friend's staying over, but it's not just her friend. Yeah. Now, when Stephen was shot, though, Celeste and Christina were in the house, but they were in, like, another wing of the house, so they really didn't hear anything. Stephen was in the hospital for a few weeks and was actually doing really well. He had gone to rehab and was walking and, you know, taking care of himself and was actually able to go home in January. So he was shot in October, able to go home in January. But it wasn't long after that that Stephen went back to the hospital. Now, I heard two different reasons. I heard one that it was a blood clot, and I heard one that it was a staph infection. But either way, whichever it was, it was directly related to the fact that he had been shot. And Stephen actually passed away on January 22nd, 2000. Oh, gosh. So right after the incident, Tracy had been arrested. She was charged with injury to an elderly individual. But after Stephen died, of course, her charges were upgraded to murder. At first, Tracy was like doing her thing in jail, like awaiting everything, you know, and nothing really came of it. Police always felt like there was more to it. Like, why did she just decide to kill Stephen? Mm -hmm. But there was nothing to really tie Celeste to anything. But... I think the police were suspicious, and so were Celeste's kids. Yeah, but then Tracy started talking when Celeste started to ignore her? Pretty much, yeah. So pretty much immediately after Stephen died, Celeste started living her life and, you know, meeting people and dating people. And while Tracy was in jail, she's reading the newspaper, and she sees a wedding announcement for Celeste. What the actual fuck? And she's like, hell fucking no. This bitch tricked me. Like, fuck this. And she started talking. So she told the police that actually this was all Celeste's idea. And that, oh, by the by, like Celeste had basically been drugging him all this time. Oh, shit. And that she... So this was on an episode of Snapped. And I listened to a podcast called Oh Snapped where they uh, recap the episodes. So it was really good. And this was actually the very first episode of Snapped ever. Oh. So I could not find it online. And when I was listening to that podcast, they were talking about how hard it is to find these early episodes and that they ended up having to like buy the DVDs off of eBay and that the stuff was like $200. Oh, fuck. So anyway, so you're not going to be able to find this, but I definitely recommend going to listen to that episode because they play clips and all that. But. They said on there that Celeste would give Stephen Everclear at night because he always drank a vodka drink, but she would switch this vodka for Everclear to, like, get him drunker. Yeah. And then she would, like, put pills in his, like, food and stuff to make him, like, pass out. So he'd be passed out by, like, 8 p.m. and she'd be able to do whatever the fuck she wanted to do. Yeah. A.K.A. Tracy. They also talked about on that podcast that when Stephen came home, 
because she'd always been trying to like poison him and stuff. And I saw in another article where one time when Stephen had passed out, they tried to put a plastic bag over his head to suffocate him. So this had kind of been like an ongoing thing. Oh my gosh. And like one time she tried to give him botulism. Like, so she left some meat outside to ferment for like, I don't know, is that the word? And then like fed it to him, but he was totally fine. So she's just like trying to kill him. Yeah. And when he came home, she had to change his wounds and that she would like intentionally get her hands dirty and then like change his dressings. Oh my God. So if it really was staff, that is because of her. Yeah. So I don't know that it was a blood clot. I only saw in like one article that it called it a blood clot, but everything else was like an infection. The police ended up arresting Celeste and charging her. And Tracy took a plea. She pled guilty for a 20-year sentence with the possibility of parole in 10 in exchange for her testimony against against Celeste. And Celeste's kids were even like, no, that bitch did it. Wow. And Celeste is like, um, they are doing this because they stand to inherit money if she goes to prison for it. Like, apparently the girls got like two million bucks a piece if she was convicted. I don't know, though, because if they were his adopted children, Mm -hmm. because in her marriage, like because it sounded like they had a prenup. And if they got divorced, Celeste was only going to get like five hundred thousand dollars. And then if, you know, of course, he died, then she got more. But the daughter's were uh, adopted. I don't know why they wouldn't stand to inherit as much as his biological children. Right. So anyway, so Tracy testified against Celeste and she said, yep, they were both in that treatment center. Tracy said she was in for bipolar disorder and that when she met Celeste, they became quick friends. Tracy told in her testimony that Celeste said that she only married Stephen so that she could get custody of her daughters and that she felt like she was in a trapped in this loveless marriage. And, you know, she just made it sound like he was just this horrible old man that was rich and just terrible to people and all the things. Uh-huh. And she really hooked Tracy hook, line, and sinker. And Tracy was like, oh, my gosh, this is terrible. I have to, uh, you know, love you and I have to protect you kind of thing. Mm-hmm. So the two of them actually shared a room at um, a facility Tracy and Celeste until a staff member caught them being inappropriate and then made them like separate rooms. So that's, again, one more piece of evidence to show that even if it was based on a manipulative behavior of Celeste, they still had a relationship in order to get her to do what she wanted her to do. Yeah. Now I'm like, did Celeste go to that in-treatment facility on the hunt for this? I think she... Went to the treatment. I think Celeste is very manipulative. And we know how people who have narcissistic personality disorder are. And I by no means want to minimize someone having suicidal ideations. But the way in which she did it felt manipulative to me. It felt like I was caught stealing. He's going to leave me. If you leave me, I will die by suicide and we know that that is a common manipulative tactic with people with like narcissistic personality disorder and that kind of thing when you're in a relationship that is toxic that people will or abusive that they will do to keep you from leaving right yeah so i think that that was a manipulative behavior on her part and he was like okay well if you are then you have to go get treatment and we'll work it out and so she did and then it was like oh let me just because she's a manipulative person to begin with i think she just was playing a game with tracy and then it was like okay she's falling for me i can make her do some stuff you know whether it's just play with my hair while we're inpatient or whatever you know what i mean (laughs) yeah she manipulated her to get the things that she wanted and then she realized how much she could manipulate her and it was like okay let's make this con go a little bit further and let's get rid of steven wow i i think but i that's just my allegedly so you know how on um, websites you can find a lot of the um like people versus blah 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 and it'll kind of give you like not court transcripts but like a breakdown of the case and yeah. the, um appeals and stuff and when i was looking at that for this case it talked about in tracy's testimony how she said that celeste would give him the sleeping pills replace ever you know it talked about all of that on there too so before Stephen was shot too, like this was one of the things that police were like, Celeste is weird. Um, like the stuff that she's doing is weird because like I said, she'd started dating quickly and she just didn't seem very upset about anything. But they had made plans to go to like Europe 
right before he was shot. And when he was shot, Celeste was basically like, well, fuck, we were supposed to leave for Europe. You know, it was like, what? Yeah. Her husband was just shot, you know? Like, you should be freaking out for your daughters, for you, like, all of your safety if you didn't know who it was. Like, if it really was just this random thing. Yeah. So, while they were kind of going through the shooting, Tracy told Celeste, like, look, this shotgun is going to eject a shell casing. And Celeste was like, girl, I got you. I will pick it up. And Celeste is the one that told her to shoot him in the stomach. And... She was like, if he doesn't die right then, because, you know, she didn't want it to be so messy. That's why they said the stomach. And she's like, if he didn't die right off, I'll wait before we call for help and let him bleed out. But little did they know he was going to be the one to be, to be able to call for himself. So Tracy served her time and she's actually out of prison. But Celeste went to trial, obviously, because, you know, Tracy was testifying. And it took jurors only like eight hours to find her guilty. And she was sentenced to life in prison. With no... Yeah, no possibility of parole or anything like that. She's probably living her best life in prison. I totally see that. Like, her manipulating people to get them to do what she wants, having relationships with people to get what she wants. Oh, I can totally see that. I just don't understand why people enter into these, like, agreements, these arrangements, and then they don't like it. And that's fine. Like, things can change. But then divorcing, you still get a, what was it, $500,000? Right. Which, like, the life that she had before Stephen, that would have been a fortune to her. I mean, it would be a fortune to me, too. But I'm saying, like, she had always had issues with money. She had always been lower income and, like, couldn't take care of herself, her kids, all the things. And so that is a substantial amount of money for her. But she had gotten a taste of the good life Uh and she wanted it all. I know. And that just makes me so mad because they both could have been happy other, like other things because a manipulator is going to manipulate and she would have moved on to another person. And she did. She had, she had already gotten remarried. Do we know if he was older too or? No, I think he was, um, if I remember correctly, he was a, a kind of blue collar guy, just like the rest of her husbands, because she didn't need she anybody. She didn't need it. Yeah. I just feel so sorry for his. I think I, I think he just had one biological daughter. That's that's really all I saw and everything. But she knew, like she knew mm-hmm. that this was bad, and she knew that he did not need to be with Celeste. And you know, I don't know. I just feel so sorry for her because. She knew it was going to be a problem, and she was right. Yeah. And just that, like, oh, just to have lost her dad so senselessly. And that's what's hard because, like, yeah, the daughter's like, it's not going to be good. But every daughter would be like that because of the age gap. But it's like, no, that sometimes can work. Like, if it's really true, it just wasn't in this part. It really wasn't that long after his wife had died that they got together. and. On that Snapped podcast, they talked about how when his wife died, that he literally was like, oh, my God, like, what am I going to do now? Who's going to take care of me? He really did want a caretaker and someone to have companionship with. And so he got married quickly. And that happens a lot when the wife passes away first, that the men remarry very quickly. And I just was trying to think about, you know, if he got married six months, a year after his essentially high school sweetheart had passed. That's kind of how my parents were. You know, my parents were high school sweethearts. They started dating when dad was in 11th grade, mom was in 10th grade. And, you know, dad was 73 when he died, mom 72. And they got married when they were 18 and 19. And so I just try to think about like, what, how hard would it be for me as the daughter if mom already had remarried? Girl, it's so hard for you because when she had that friend just talking to her to console her, you were like, I don't like him. Oh, I know. I would be (laughs) a royal cunt to whomever she was dating. It would be a problem because Mm -hmm. I would be such an asshole. So I just, I I think his daughter's name was Becky. And I just, so I just identify with her so much to be like, it's not even about the money. It's not even about that. But like, they are taking advantage of you. Like, mm-hmm. they are going to hurt you, even just emotionally. Like, because yeah. who who thinks that they're going to murder them? Right. Exactly. You know, that's not good. I, w- I would never have been like, 
you know, if I was Becky, been like, oh my God, Celeste is going to kill him. Right. But if I was Becky, I would be like, oh my God, dad, she's taking advantage of you. She is, she wants you for your money Mm -hmm. and to take care of her kids and all of this. And it's like, be careful. But also the fact that I just would feel like you've already tried to replace the love of your life. And it's like, Although I know logically they're n- never going to even remotely try to replace the love of life. They're just trying to fill a void and have some companionship, which they deserve. Yeah. Which I completely understand. The logical carry gets that. But the emotional carry, if that was my mama, <laughs> would lose my bananas. <laughs> I also feel sorry for her two daughters because they had gotten close to Stephen. Yes. And they have already lost their biological father and now they've lost him and now their mom's in jail. Well, and like, I I didn't even tell this part too, but like, Celeste not only was hooking up with Tracy, she was having an affair with one of her ex-husbands too. Like, she just was, like, she truly was in this for the money. And it just, it just breaks my heart because it's not fair to the kids. No, it's not. The adult kids and the young kids. And, you know, of course, Stephen, too. Right. (laughs) The most important one. Yeah. Okay. So I did a story about Austin as well, because like Carrie said, we'll be coming back when this airs. And this is about the Clay Pit. It's a really popular restaurant that serves Indian cuisine. It's located in the historic Bertram Building, which is only a few blocks from the state capitol. Okay, so let's talk about the Bertram building for a moment. It was built by a German immigrant named Rudolf... The red-nosed reindeer? No. I was close. Rudolf Bertram, you know, Bertram building, and he settled in Austin in 1853. He worked on ranches when he first moved there and, you know, was a cattle hand. Is that a word? Whatever. You know, he helped with the horses, the cattle, all of that. And he saved up enough money to buy the building we're talking about. And he bought it in 1872. So he used it as a general store that offered everything a farmer could want. It was like Ace Hardware with feed and seed as well. With the general store, there is also a saloon in the back. And something else about the general store It was one of the handful of trading posts where Native Americans could barter as well. Then later on, while Rudolph Bertram was thriving, he found the love of his life, Bertha, who was also a German immigrant. They ended up having eight children, and so they needed more space than they currently had. So Rudolph built a second floor on the general store, and that's where they resided from then on out. Now, unfortunately, the Bertram family was not without tragedy. Five of the eight children passed away, and all of the deaths occurred, like, in a span of few years. Well, and given the time, I mean, because you hear that many kids of someone's passing away, and it's like, <gasps> but also given the time, it's not as like, oh my gosh. Right. I mean, some were like poisoned from like, not poisoned, but had gotten sick from the well water and, you know, like Oregon Trail style. How do you get sick from well water? I think they said they got diphtheria from it, but I don't know. That could have been another kid that got diphtheria and something else. Fuck if I know. But one of the children, a little boy, had typhoid fever, and in hopes of not getting the whole family ill, he was confined to his room, so he was basically, you know, quarantining for an extended period of time. Unfortunately, the young boy never recovered, and he passed away shortly after. So back to the building just a bit more. You know how I said it was only a few blocks from the Capitol building? Well, it's said that there was a tunnel that ran between both buildings, And this was so they can transport gold without being robbed. So they would store the state's gold supply in the wine cellar in the Bertram building. Because see, that area was like the warehouse district, but it was like a little rough around the edges and usually referred to as Guy Town. Like seedy shit would happen there. It was Austin's version of a red light district. And, you know, like, they were like, you know, you got to be a man to survive here. And also um, that men would really enjoy themselves there, too. Because on the other side of the Bertram building 
was a very popular brothel. Now, the day-to-day customers of the saloon, they could easily walk across the street, go to the brothel. But for the she-she fancy pants men, you know, the ones who were like Mr. Moneybags, they would use the exclusive tunnel that ran underground to the brothel. So they had one tunnel go into the state capitol and one tunnel go into the brothel. And I guarantee you, people from that state capitol went straight to that other tunnel. For sure. They were probably the most patrons of all. Uh Uh-huh. And, you know, this was for people who, you know, didn't want your wife or your children to see you, like, doing your dirty deeds. You didn't Uh want your constituents or your customers. Fuck people. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, I really and truly cannot stand that. Like, the people who vote for these moral things, like... The classic example is abortion. The people who are so anti-abortion, and yet they're going to make sure that if their son's girlfriend gets pregnant, they get an abortion. If their mistress gets pregnant, they're going to get an abortion. And it's like, but like, it's so morally unacceptable and we have to outlaw it. And yet, how many people do you know that have had one? Mm -hmm. It's always people who protest, like, doth protest too much. And it's those people who are doing the shit that they say don't do. Well, it's just like that movie, um, The Sound of Freedom. Have you seen this? It's like this. Okay, so the movie is um, basically like anti-trafficking. And one of the men who financed this movie was arrested for child kidnapping. What? Yes. The movie, I will say, the movie is like, very controversial like it's but like one of the people who helped finance it literally was arrested for what the movie's supposed to be fighting wow yeah i got a lot of information from the night owl podcast because they did a three-part series on this building i highly recommend that podcast and even though i'm covering it i really enjoyed hearing the stories from the people who experienced them and also like i said there's three parts and i'm only covering like the first part the other two was like a psychic medium and her experiences there and stuff like that so really go check it out Well, Diane Blank from Haunted ATX, she was interviewed on the podcast and she said that there was a plow up on the roof of the building when it was the Bertram building, the general store. And that was like a beacon for all the farmers and all of those who wanted to trade. You know, it symbolized that the place sold farming supplies and, you know, all of that. But also, if you wanted to plow something else, it was right next door. And, you know, it was kind of a nod to the men who were in the know of the tunnels and stuff. Yeah. So we know the building was located in a well-trafficked area. Um, And there were lots of things that went down, including the death of the Bertram children. So we know there are bound to be ghosts there. And there's a lot of the normal haunting sounds, you know, doors closing, phantom footsteps and voices, phantom smells, stuff like that. But there's also been a little boy spotted in the upstairs window and spotted on the bar. One night, the cops were called by a passerby who saw the little boy in the window at night, but the building was searched and no one was there. And he's one of the main ghosts people talk about, but there's also one named the Scarlet Lady that we'll get into because I'm going to start with the little boy. He's believed to have been the Bertram child who was quarantined in his room. He passed away on the second floor, which was their living quarters, remember? And that's where he is spotted the most. The room that he frequents is the room that he was quarantined in. And that's now known as the Bombay Room. The clay pit rents this room out for private parties. One night, an employee was finishing closing up the Bombay Room. And when they were leaving, they just did like a like a check, you know, like just I'm going to scan and make sure I haven't messed anything up, left anything, whatever. And they saw a little boy peek his head around the corner and then he waved. And it looked so real, the employee did a double take, but the boy was gone the second time they looked. 
Now, everyone who has come in contact with the little boy says that his spirit seems playful and friendly. Now, there are some people who said that they feel the Bombay room has an intimidating presence there, and they think that is Mr. Bertram, not the son. And so maybe Rudolph is there because the son's acting up, you know? There's been many times that dishes have fallen over for no reason, glasses have broken, and things that just shouldn't have been knocked over have been. And so they think it's a little boy spirit just playing around. And you know how kids do? They fuck shit up and make messes. So it's like Mr. Bertram comes to control him if he's getting too out of hand. Now, workers have seen the little boy in other places than the Bombay room. They said they have felt a little hand latch onto theirs, like a child looking for comfort and security. And there was one worker, Dreads, who was in the upstairs bar area working a wedding event. He said he was behind the bar just waiting for things to wind down. And he bent over to pick something off the floor and he felt something pat him on the head. And he looked up to the ceiling thinking, okay, something might have fallen, but there wasn't anything visibly out of place. You know, he thought, oh, well, maybe one of my Dreads hit. Nope, those were all in place. So he just blew it off, you know, whatever. But then 30 minutes later, when he was closing everything up, he was backing up to do something and he felt two small hands on the lower back and like one on his hip kind of, and then one on the small of his back. And Dredd said he smelled a sickly sweet smell like overripe fruit. The hair on his arms were standing straight up and he was like, oh yeah, I think it's that little boy, just even where like his hands were placed and, you know, it's like someone about that height would be all of that. wonder why the smell. I don't know. And I don't know if he could be you. And he describes it a different way because later we'll see there was like a musky smell. Okay. Not me immediately turning looking at you because I thought you were saying it was like, must be you like, because I smell. And I was like, I smell. Oh my God. (laughs) She says I'm the Leo. (laughs) Well, you did bring it back to me. (laughs) The Bombay room also has some residual energy going on too. People have heard celebratory sounds like a party was going on in there, but no one was in the room. And sometimes noises will start up again when the people head back downstairs. And I don't know why, but in my head, I just picture when like you're trying not to get caught, but you want to laugh because you're like, oh my God, I'm about to get caught. And so you're having to hold it in. And so you and your besties are just busting a gut to cackle. And so when the coast is clear, you just let it all out. I don't know, but that's just what I picture the ghost doing, like standing like a statue frozen in place until the people go back downstairs. Now, the Scarlet Lady is rumored to have been a sex worker that was found in the tunnel between the Bertram building and the brothel next door. She had been murdered by one of the patrons, but you know how it is being a sex worker. Her murder wasn't high priority. And also, it's rumored that Rudolph Bertram found her body in the tunnel and he disposed of her body and walled off the tunnel after that because he was like, I don't want anyone to tie this back to me and my place because he had gotten even more powerful and wealthy and he didn't want that to, you know, be his downfall. So the legend goes that the Scarlet Lady haunts the cellar and the tunnel searching for justice. Now, a lot of the workers of the clay pit have witnessed the Scarlet Lady on the stairway behind the host station, which is what leads down into the cellar. They report that their name is being whispered by a feminine voice. On the Night Owl podcast, a guy named Mark was interviewed, and he worked at both the clay pit at one point and now worked for Haunted ATX. And he did a photo shoot in the cellar for Haunted ATX promo. And so he hired a photographer and a model. And the model, her name was Allie, and she was dressed like the Scarlet Lady. You know, they say that she wore, I mean, like old-fashioned clothes, a corset, but everything was in like that crimson scarlet color. So that's what she was wearing. And during the shoot, there were some flickering of lights and like they both kind of looked at each other like, did you see what I see? Because all the lights are connected and so you can dim them all 
or you can, you know, turn them all full blast, but you can't make one flicker without the other. And that's what was going on. And then Allie was overcome with that feeling of just being faint and sick at her stomach. And she had to stop. And the photographer was like, well, your corset's probably too tight or something. And she was like, dude, I have worn shit like this forever on jobs. I'm a model. I know how to do that. But also, I'm a burlesque dancer. So I do fucking back bends and corsets and shit. I know how to control my breath when I wear them. I know how to do it. Like, that's not it. Something else was it. It's not just me Whatever. Like, she wasn't me in a corset. She wasn't me in anything other than leggings. Also me. (laughs) The thing is, is that after that, they learned that they're not the only ones who experienced the lights flickering and stuff like that. It's something that is thought to be the Scarlet Lady letting her presence be known. Now, I watched a video on Stepping Up Media's YouTube page that was a recording of a haunted ATX tour of the clay pit. The guide said that in the cellar, there's a lot of residual haunting as well. And it's like people moving boxes and customers have seen people who they thought were workers, but they were dressed in old fashioned clothing. And then, you know, they were there one minute, gone the next. Another thing that the tour guide said was that there were two sex workers from the brothel who would come over using that tunnel and they'd go to the saloon to drum up some business. And that's not how it usually worked, but they were like, we're going to get some business, you know? Um, But they ended up being drowned in the well there in the cellar, which is the same well that uh, the kids got sick in. And how she lined up, it was like they died and then some shit started happening and then the kids got sick and stuff. So it's like, were they cursed? Like the Bertrands, was that family cursed after like all the stuff that had went on? Who knows? But from that moment on, only the madam was the only female who could use a tunnel other than the men who used it. And they believed that the Scarlet Lady was a madam because that's where her body was found. Bali, one of the owners, was interviewed on the Night Owl podcast, and he said that in 2009, there was a paranormal group who wanted to investigate for Halloween. So he was like, okay, sure. And he was like, I'm going to come back, but I'm going to go have a drink with friends and then, you know, come back and just see what y'all what y'all are doing. Because he's had some experiences, but never like oh, I saw a ghost or, oh, I did this. It would just be things he could shrug off, you know? But when Bali went back, the crew showed him some video footage or like showed him on the camera that it was a shadow that was unaccounted for in the cellar. So there were four people there, but five shadows and there was no other source of light or anything. And if there was another source, it would have been coming from upstairs and how it was angled, the shadow, like the light would not have casted a shadow. And Bali was like, okay, yeah, that's it. Bye. Y'all have fun. Just lock the doors. Okay. Bye. Dreads, who again was interviewed about that little boy, he said that he believes slaves were held down in the cellar at one point. And he said that there is like an EVP session and they heard the word property when they asked the spirit why they were there or why they couldn't leave, something like that. And at first it didn't make sense, but then Dredd saw these hooks and he was like, what if they had chained the slaves up? Because this was a trading post. And so like, what if they had them down here till they sold them? Like, because, you know, slaves were treated as property. And so that person couldn't leave because they weren't free to do so even in the afterlife. So you're telling me that people who are shitty get to move on and go see their family and all of that after they die, but yet someone who was enslaved against their fucking will has to stay there for all of eternity? That's fucked up. It is fucked up. And maybe it's just, you know, residual energy because that is traumatic as fuck. I don't know that I believe that that would happen. I don't know. But, I mean, we've talked a lot about, like, plantations and stuff like that, that there's all that haunting and also, I mean, I see what you're saying, that they're stuck there. But on the flip side, like, in the grand scheme of, like, the afterlife, how does 
someone's dad get to be in the afterlife and watch over them and give them signs. And yet someone who was enslaved through no fault of their own has to stay there forever. You know? Yeah. Well, maybe we only know the dad doing that for the family, but he also had to do his job that he was stuck at. You don't know. Well, what if they were retired? Well, then he was lucky and he just retired in his afterlife too. But you see what I'm saying? Yeah. Like what? I don't know. I watched an episode of Strange Town on the Clay Pit, and I watched it on YouTube, but it is available on uh, PBS, too. So there's two dudes, Mark Morrow and Billy Driver, and they investigate the Clay Pit, and they interview a man named Helton Goins, I think is how you say it. He's a Clay Pit employee, and he said that one of his coworkers, Chad, was taking a nap between shifts in the cellar because, like, they're open for lunch, and then it's like they close, yeah. and then they'll be open for dinner. So if you have a double shift, like, okay, instead of trying to go home, do yeah. all the things, I'm going to take a nap down there. So he did, and he woke up to a lady calling his name, and, like, when he didn't answer, even though someone was calling his name— he got tapped on the shoulder. And so he woke up being like, what? But no one was around. Uh-uh. And how the seller is, you only have one way to go out. And so you would have to see that person that's not like they could just disappear, like a real person. Helton also said he had an experience himself in the dining room. He had gotten there early and it was just him and the owner. And they were putting the buffet up for lunch and they were just bullshitting and stuff. And they were like, did you know that you're my favorite? And they're like, no, you're my favorite. And just, you know, whatever, having fun. Buffet lunches are my favorite. (laughs) Right. Well, the lunch rush came in and Helton was pouring a glass for one of his tables and over his shoulder, he heard a whisper that said, no, you're my favorite. And he felt the breath on his ear. Uh-uh. But when he turned around, no one was there. And so he was like, did y'all see anyone behind me? Because he thought, well, maybe the owner was playing a joke because it couldn't have been a coworker because they didn't say, oh, before y'all got here, we were saying this. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like it had to be the owner or someone who was there that they couldn't see. And the people did not see anyone. I didn't know this place had a buffet. I'm invested now. <laughs> now, also on Strange Town, they interviewed Justin, who works in the kitchen of the clay pit. And he said that one night, him and a few of the other employees were in the kitchen. And all of a sudden, one of the glass racks just toppled over like it had been thrown and no one was over there near it. And also it's been caught on camera, like on security footage in the kitchen, a stack of plates just topple over for no reason at all. And it's not like that was just the only stack of plates. It's in the middle of like four different rows. And the middle one is the only one that fell. And it honestly looks like someone pushed it. And so if someone hit the table or anything like that, it would have caused more than just that one stack to fall. Now, the guys from Strange Town, they also did an investigation and they heard a loud bang, like a heavy door being slammed when they were in the dining room. They also called an EVP of what sounds like rocks being thrown. Now, Bali, remember one of the owners of the clay pit, he told a story on the Night Owl podcast about him and a coworker actually having rocks thrown. And he said like one was by the second floor stairway and one landed on the bar. And he was like, our roof is wood. Like it wouldn't be from that. So where did that come from? But it was just one of those times that they were like, yeah, let's just close up. Okay, yeah, cool. Let's go. Just made sure the doors were locked and went outy. Now, when the guys were conducting a spirit box session in the cellar close to one of those walled off tunnels, they captured a female's voice and one of the guys felt something on his ear. They tried to interact with a little boy spirit in the upstairs parlor and one of their jeans got tugged on like at their hip and then they rolled the ball like over and, you know, tried to make it roll it back, but it didn't roll back. However, it was like moving like it was trying to. Like after it had gotten still, it started looking like, I mean, what you see in all the haunted movies and stuff. Why would I say haunted movies? Who knows? Like the scary movies. 
And at the same time, they both smelled something really musky. And so that's why I said maybe Dreads just had a different description of it. But he smelled that with the little boy. And now they were interacting with the little boy. And they also smelled something. It sounds like like Bigfoot. You know, (laughs) like I'm like, what else has a smell? Bigfoot's got to be There's also thought to be a ghost of one of the chefs who worked in the clay pit in the 1980s. He had worked late on his walk home. He was mugged and then murdered. And then people say they have seen him walking through the kitchen and standing at the counter. The KVU ABC night crew or KVUE, uh, they teamed up with Haunted ATX and investigated the clay pit. And one of the crew, Quita, she saw a door to the kitchen move and she was like, no, y'all, that moved by itself. Like I watched it. Now they didn't see the little boy spirit, but they did see a photo that someone else had taken and it was at the bar and you can see no one is sitting at the bar, but there's a reflection in the mirror that's like a man in old timey clothes. And others say he's well known there and he does typically make himself known when you're looking in the mirrors. And then when the crew went down to the cellar, they experienced rapidly drained batteries on some of their equipment, as well as the EMF meter going like haywire at that same time. Now, I do want to mention that one of our very own moderator extraordinaires, Morgan N., recently went to the clay pit, and she got to go down to the tunnels and have a little tour by Hagen, who is one of the managers there. And she said that the tunnels did feel a little eerie and confirmed that the temperature really does drop when you're in there. And Hagen told them that he's been closing by himself there like around 3 a.m. And he would be down in the cellar and then instantly just get chilled to the bone. And he's like, yeah, not because it's cold storage or anything like that. Like, no, literally bone chilling. He said, like when you have a fever and you get to that like shivering stage, That's what he felt. Let me just say, when we go on our little ghost adventure hunt in Austin, I'm not going to be mad if it gets cold out there. Me either. I want, like, can a ghost just walk? Can they embrace me while we walk? I just want you to stand next to me, little ghosty ghost. Don't touch me. Don't let me know you're there other than I want to be cold. (laughs) So now when Morgan was on her tour, the manager pointed out, some metal spikes. And he was like, these are original to the cellar and they were used to hang sausage and stuff like that from there. But the spikes, I believe, are the ones where Dreads, the employee, had said he believes meat wasn't the only things that they were used for. He said that he saw those spikes and he thinks it could have, you know, held the chains of some enslaved people while they were waited while they were waiting to be traded. And now him saying that and like someone on like the haunted ATX tour or something like that saying that would be different than like the manager saying it when he's just giving them like a little after dinner tour. You know what I mean? That's a little like like that's a lot. Yeah. Just for her, I think she went after her birthday and so I mean, I don't know what Morgan said, but she was probably like, it was my birthday. Like, yeah, can we go tour? Because we love this. You know what I mean? And so it was a lighthearted tour. Like he wasn't trying to, you know, like totally scare him and, you know, right. tell him all the history. Like, hey, it's, you know, like dinner rush. And here we go. He was very nice. And I'm not saying it wasn't bad because we got to see the videos. You just don't remember it. But... Well, it's coming back to me now. <laughs> okay, Celine Dion. But um. So it was really nice. And I asked Morgan if I could use her uh, input and the information on this episode. So also, I'm like, I'm wrapping everything up, but I really want to point out that the Night Owl podcast had three parts, like I mentioned, and they did have that psychic medium. I believe her name's Sarah walk through the clay pit. And there's just a lot of experiences that happen in all three episodes. And she finds out names of the ghost in I think the third episode maybe and you know like I didn't say any of the names Haunted ATX does but I'm just like I don't know because there's no like real like even the sun I don't know if it was just like I just don't know if all of it's been verified and I don't know why I chose that one not to say their names 
But anyway, like I highly suggest you go listen to the Night Owl podcast. They do a lot of in-depth, my ghost story type of interviews and stuff. So it's very, very entertaining, informative, and, you know, let them know a paranormal chick sent you. And I really hope we get to check out the clay pit when we're in Austin. Does Colby like Indian food? I don't know. Okay. Now I know that uh, my stomach won't like it. Well, you know we're bringing a bidet. But if we're somewhere else that doesn't have a bidet, your stomach won't like it. Well, your booty won't like it. Because all that spiciness? No, I, I mean, I get it. Thank you. Well, you weren't looking at me like you got it. This girl always needs fucking eye contact. Meanwhile, I look at her, and if I don't look at her, she's like, you're not paying attention to me. (laughs) So we have new students at work, and I was telling them there's like two things that I'm very particular about. One, the cabinet that my schedule is put on, and uh, two is my stool because I specially ordered a heavy-duty stool. Uh Uh-huh. And so I'm scared I'm going to like break one of the other ones. So I'm yeah. like, I'm very, and, and I tell them too, cause I'm like, I'm, I'm particular about my stool because it's a heavy duty stool. So like, if you're like with somebody and I'm like, hey, switch stools with me, that's why, you know? Yeah. But today the schedule thing came up and I was like, I really feel like those are the only two things I'm particular about. And my two coworkers were like, uh huh. <laughs> I was like, what? What else am I particular about? Come to find out, apparently I am very particular about things. Uh, we knew that. But what did they say? They wouldn't tell me. Oh. out, bitches. <laughs> <laughs> but yes, you are. Well, when you're listening to this, we're going to be on the road, heading back from Austin, sweating our balls off. Mm-hmm. So thank you all so much for listening and supporting us. Don't forget to like, subscribe, review, all the things. And remember, creep it real and don't get scared. scared.